that was the only concern that I had was that I, I might blow up her race by taking it a little bit too hard, which was another good reason why she kind of set the pace early on. When you pace somebody and they do well, then that's like a victory for yourself. That was Kevin Beatty, and this is episode 78 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. On February 27th, I completely surprised myself by winning the Las Vegas Rock and Roll 10K in a time of 42 minutes and four seconds. I recapped the race at nauseum on social media, so if you're interested in all the details, go check out my Instagram. But today we wanted to share the story from my pacer's perspective. Not only is Kevin Beatty my big brother, he's also a coach, an accomplished runner, and our very first Inspired Souls guest from way back in episode three. For this race, I enrolled him to help me overcome a familiar pattern of giving up in the second half of a race and then regretting it later. Even though I wasn't quite sure where my fitness was at, my primary goal was to finish knowing I'd left it all out there on Las Vegas Boulevard. As you're about to hear, not only did Kevin nail his pace bunny duties, he also capitalized on the party atmosphere and had a total blast along the way. I can't thank Kevin enough for his superb pacing support and for making sure we captured that money shot from this fabulous race experience. And now please join us in welcoming Kevin Beatty back to the show. So today we have Kevin with us again. Kevin, you were our very first official guest in episode three of the Inspired Souls podcast, Carolyn's brother, and you are back with us to talk about pacing and the role of a pacer because Carolyn didn't want to toot her own horn talking too much about her own race at the Las Vegas 10K. Um, But welcome to the podcast, Kevin. We're happy to have you with us. Thank you. It's wonderful to be back. So um, for those of you that weren't listening to our podcast at the very beginning in episode three, and even if you were, I think um, our listeners could use a bit of a reminder about just who you are, where you're from, what you do. So can you give us a bit of a refresher? Sure. Uh, I guess the most pertinent thing is that I'm Carolyn's brother. uh, So that gets me on the podcast first. And then again, I live in the Quinty area of Ontario, so kind of Belleville, Trenton area. And I do a variety of things, uh, including run coaching at uh, Loyalist College in Belleville and online clients and a run group in the city of Belleville. Well, you've definitely been mentioned many times on our podcast. Lots of people have benefited from your coaching and your inspiration. And so I guess the very first question is how did you land the prestigious job of being Carolyn's Pace Bunny and why Las Vegas? So we'll go with why Las Vegas. We were there mostly because my partner was doing her one and only half marathon. Uh, She had identified Las Vegas as the one half marathon she would ever do. And she always had an out because it was in November. But for some reason, the race got switched to February and it fell right on the college reading week, which made us both available to go. And it was right around my birthday. And I know that Carolyn and her husband were looking to get out of Winnipeg for that time. So we did a little running vacation around this race that uh, my partner, Jen, was going to do. My role as pacer came up because I had run the Houston Marathon a month earlier, or a month and a half earlier. And uh, 
the best part about doing a, a race in January is not having to do any kind of workouts or long runs or hard stuff in February. So I didn't feel like I was in shape or wanting to get out and run in the winter very hard. So uh, pacing Carolyn was still very much within my wheelhouse. And uh, I thought I could offer up those services to take part in the event rather than just kind of sit on the sidelines and, and be cheerleader. Well, I think that was super amazing planning on your part. I'm going to have to remember that for next year. Like anything to get me out of needing to run through a Winnipeg winter would be like a brilliant, brilliant plan. Oh, yeah. Big, uh, big December, January race is a great excuse to take the winter uh, lightly. Okay. I may have to take that on. Um, so before we sort of get into this 10K, I want to just pause on Houston. You ran... Houston Marathon on January, mid-January, okay, in a personal master's best time of two hours, 36 minutes, and 53 seconds. Tell us about that race. Were you proud of yourself on that race? I was really proud of that race because the buildup was certainly not ideal. Um, I, like, I didn't get the idea to even run Houston until after the Canadian 10K Championships back in October of 2021, which was 13 weeks from Houston, which is kind of like the bare minimum that you'd want to do for uh, for a marathon build. Uh, and then I promptly uh, hurt my foot <laughs> and lost the first 10 days or two weeks of, of that 13-week training period. Mm. Um, so cutting 13 down to 11. Mixed in there was our week away at Christmas, uh, which was not very good running, plus a little bout of COVID when I got back that kept me indoors on the treadmill when I could have been outside doing some key workouts. Uh, and also not to complain too much to people who live in Calgary and Winnipeg, but winter arrived early in Ontario last November and uh, was, you know, it's been a pretty long drawn out winter by our standards. So the whole summation of it is that I, I was very proud of of the race and uh, building up to it and and getting it done in kind of a short time frame like that. That's awesome. So this left you now roughly what four weeks after Houston. Yeah, when you came to Vegas, yeah, five, Carol, five or so six. four to five weeks, five to six weeks. So perfectly recovered, refreshed, ready to just have fun. <laughs> and yep. as you, it's just Vegas, baby. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to just be a bystander. So let's, before we get a little bit more into the specifics of your role pacing her in this event, I'd like your coach's opinion or perspective on what is the role of a pacer for a person running, you know, let's, let's say a 10K event uh, on the road. Um, and I'd like you to compare and contrast what, how a pacer might benefit a recreational runner versus a runner who may be a little bit more focused on performance goals. Okay, so traditionally pacers would be employed like on the track or in the elite wave of a road race or a marathon, kind of to set the pace and, and get things going and make sure that the event has some pace to it, has some, some race to it. So people aren't just kind of jogging around, looking down at each other, waiting, to, waiting for someone to take it up. Um, at that level, like physiologically, it's a lot easier to follow than to lead. And if there's any kind of elements like wind or rain, people will be reluctant to be the person out in front and have a bunch of people drafting off of them. At more of the recreation level, it's not so much about setting the pace as 
kind of like preventing mistakes from happening. So if you're the pacer, you can control that nervous energy that happens in the first couple kilometers and where a lot of races are blown up, right? Like by going out too fast. Um, and also in the back end is to provide encouragement and kind of push whoever you're pacing on to the finish. That's kind of the biggest difference. In elite races, the pacers are usually designated to go a certain distance and it's not usually the whole way. Uh, so they'll drop out at some point and then kind of the race is on from there. Uh, with pacing recreation runners, when uh, you can go the, the whole route, it becomes almost like a, like a traveling coach. Mm, that's an interesting comparison. Yeah. Okay. So you just mentioned, you know, typically the role of a pacer let's say more in an elite or performance perspective is, is to control the pace going out in the first half to two thirds, and then they drop off and let the runner finish the race themselves. What was the race plan for Carolyn's 10 K and how were you instructed to support her in this race? So Carolyn uh, was in good shape, but we didn't really know exactly what that would be. Like you can kind of box it, right? under 40 minutes would would have been a phenomenal race but probably too aggressive to start out with you know something like 45 minutes would have been far too slow uh, so we kind of narrowed it down to be around the 42 minute range high 41s low 42s so that kind of becomes a target and then work out kind of where we should be at certain checkpoints two or three kilometers in at halfway seven or eight kilometers uh, and then try to make sure that we're not too far off of that one way or another. The race plan, Carolyn kind of set the race plan at the start. I was running without a GPS watch, so I don't know if that, how that makes me for a pacer, but I was <laughs> taking uh, taking mile splits. But uh, Carolyn kind of got out there and, and set the pace, and then it was just kind of up to me to maintain it. So I was able to get some feedback in the first uh, two, three mile checkpoints, find out that we weren't you know, wildly off in one direction or, or another. And then from there, it's, uh, you know, if she drops back a little bit, I'm encouraging her to come on back up to me because I'm running an even even effort. Uh, or, you know, I think even at one point, Carolyn, you said that we were going a little bit too fast. So we, we backed it down a little bit. But just always being there for support and kind of the, the carrot ahead to, <laughs> to be shooting for. Mm-hmm. So Carolyn, you have talked before about how your real strength is dialing in a pace Mm -hmm. and how you just know your pace, especially, and that being a strength of yours allowed you, like Kevin just said, to essentially set the pace in the Mm -hmm. first half of the race, which is the opposite of what typically a pacer would do. They would set the pace for you, but you knew yourself so well, you knew that you could, you could really tune in in the first half. Yeah. And then what happened in the second half? Did you expect that you might need him a little bit more? Or what was the purpose of Kevin's presence for that second half of the race for you? Yeah, so you absolutely nailed it. It was almost like I needed the pacer in the opposite way that it's normally used in. So Kevin says that I was in good shape, but I honestly had no idea what kind of shape that I was in because as we've already referenced, I had been running for three to four like solid months in the wind, ice, snow, (laughs) cold in Winnipeg. And I run long on, I do my long run on Saturdays. And I feel like every Saturday I went out and it was like 
blowing snow and a blizzard and I'd be running like 620 per kilometer. <laughs> like that would be end up my average pace on my long run. And I'm just like, ah, like I was trying hard, but I just couldn't go anywhere. So I actually didn't know what my fitness was, to be honest. So, but I do know what the beginning of a 10K should feel like because I've run enough of them. So I said, yeah, let me kind of set the pace in the beginning. I'm going to dial into that effort. I think it might be around, you know, 415 kilometers or 410 or something like that, but I honestly don't know. So we went out and the first kilometer, I had the kilometer splits coming up on my watch. And then I guess Kevin was monitoring the mile splits and the first kilometer came up at 410. And then I was like, I don't know that I can, because <laughs> I, again, I didn't really know. And so I think I kind of backed off in kilometer two. And then I was kind of dialing into something right around 410, 412, 413. Like it, they were just clicking off real easy and it wasn't feeling hard. And so, yeah, were you going more on feel at that point, not knowing where you 100%. should be? You weren't worried about holding a time. It was a nope. rating of perceived effort. hundred percent. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And then I knew I know myself enough (laughs) in both ends, like the first half and the second half. And I can be a little bit of a baby in the second half of a race and not really go into the pain cave. Kevin's Kevin's not. Thanks. Um, (laughs) But I need the pacer to be like, let's go. It's you know, it's not too early. And so I had said to Kevin, like, don't let me give up on myself in the second half. I need you. And so that was kind of a funny part of it, Kevin, I don't know if you remember, but I was thinking kind of like 9K, we might start to turn things up. <laughs> and at six and a half K, you're like, let's go. Let's start reeling people in. And I think I remember saying to you, what? It's six and a half. It's too K. early. It's too early. <laughs> okay. So let's go to this reeling people in thing. Mm-hmm. So share with our listeners how you started the race with the half marathoners and, and who you were running with at this point. Did you know who you were reeling in even? So, yeah, I've experienced these starts before, but mostly in triathlon. Uh, so they had the big banner start line up like usual uh, and the humongous corrals. Uh, and as we got close to the start banner, all of a sudden there were these little gates, like maybe 10 or 12 across the width of the starting line, uh, funneling you through one at a time. And at the end of the gates, there were you know, a chain of people with their arms out and they would just lift them up over their heads for two seconds until one person went, and then they'd put their arms back down again. So it was a little bit of a like a delayed two-second send-off start. Okay. Like a beep start, I think they yeah. call it. Yeah. Yeah. So because of that, uh, there was no way of knowing where we were uh, in relation, like officially, to, to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, we were still close enough at the start. Like we probably got out within the first two or three minutes. Uh, so we were still close enough that after a couple of miles, you know, everything had settled. Yeah. It never felt crowded. It never felt crowded. And, you know, people were, you know, naturally kind of running where they should. There, there weren't a whole lot of people zooming past and the, we weren't flying by a whole bunch of people. Okay. Okay. So not only did you have like a beeped or staggered start, but you were also mixed in with half marathoners. The 10K runners were with half marathoners. Yeah. So I'm curious, were you like leading the pack with the half marathoners too at a 10K pace? Or, you know, do you know who you were running with for that first half of your race? Things kind of sorted themselves out and we ended up running 
in a pack or at least around people who were about the same speed. But there was a stretch, maybe around three miles or halfway, where um, we were kind of on our own a little bit. Like we we mm-hmm. kind of dropped anybody who we were who we'd started it with, and the next group or the next pack or the next stragglers uh, ahead were uh, a little bit farther than you know just that what you would feel to be contact. Uh, so th- there was that stretch where we had to kind of like focus in and yeah. go after it on our uh, together. And I think the only way of actually knowing would have been to glance at someone's bib, like the bib colors were different for the 10 Kers versus the half marathoners, but I wasn't paying attention. I don't know about you, Kev, but I was just kind of like, there was no way of knowing. I mean, I I talked to, you know, who we'll call red shirt guy uh, because he came up to me and asked, he must've noticed that I was running with Carolyn and he asked, you know, what pace she was going for. Was she shooting for a 130 half marathon? I said no. She's running the 10k, but he was obviously running the the half. And, um, okay. There, there was just no way of knowing, especially yeah, yeah, especially as you're coming up trying to pass somebody because the bibs are all in the front. So even if mm-hmm. you could take a look, you would have had to get past them to notice. Okay. So I kind of skipped ahead here. We've talked about the the start and the first half. Let's go back to before you even started, you mentioned not wearing a watch, Kevin, um, not knowing what kind of shape Carolyn was in. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any hesitations going into this race as her pacer? Not really. Uh, only that I might screw up her race by trying to run it faster than she wanted to. <laughs> Uh, Hence the race plan. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the only hesitation that I would have had. There were good crowds. It was a nice day, like perfect running conditions. And Carolyn mentioned, you know, getting out for those long runs on Saturdays and running 620 kilometers and having it feel terrible. Uh, because I had done Houston the month before, I knew that as soon as you take off all those layers and you get nice yeah. clean pavement and a cool day, like time just melts off your pace effortlessly. Mm-hmm. So yes, kind of getting caught up in that excitement and the little boost of nice weather and the big race atmosphere. Uh, that was the only concern that I had was that I, I might blow up her race by taking it a little bit too hard, which was another good reason why she kind of set the pace early on. And ironically, me, the pacer can get dialed in. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, because that was honestly my only hesitation about having you pace me is that I can get in my own head about like, oh, Kevin just ran a marathon like 20 seconds per kilometer or like probably 30 seconds per kilometer faster than I'm trying to run this race. So he's going to think I'm so slow. And then I was worried that I would go out too fast trying to, I don't know, impress him or something. <laughs> This is your brother, Carolyn. You shouldn't be worried about impressing him. I know, I know, but I'd be like, oh, he must think that this is so slow. I should speed up. And I knew that that would not end well. So that was my only hesitation. And I said that to you, didn't I? Yeah, totally. Which made me even more conscious of it. It probably brought us both down to the exact right level. Plus, I was having such a fabulous time pumping up the crowd and listening to bands and cheering on other runners and stuff. It was great. I was just going to say, you, you seem to have a good relaxed attitude. So that was probably just what she needed. Yeah. Have you ever had so much fun in a race? Probably not. I mean, I've, I have done some pacing, well, with you before at Around the Bay and, uh, and a couple other races, but probably not something that's been that much of a party atmosphere. 
Totally. So it, it was great. Uh, I mean, everything from like pre-race where we were in this massive staging area with tens of thousands of people and, and stuff. And then this super long walk to the start line and uh, they had like, the radio or, or television person on this on the stage right beside us as uh, we were going through the start line, like we we're just meeting people and mm-hmm. rallying people up and, and stuff. It, it was great. I know you're significantly taller and bigger than Carolyn, so were you like I can almost picture her like your bouncer, like okay, move, get out of the way, we're gonna get to the front. She's coming through. <laughs> well, that kind of is a story because he's Kevin was talking about that. the staging area. Yeah, did you really? So, oh my god, a hundred percent. So there's this huge staging area, and then they would call people like whatever wave they had all these different waves, so they'd call the wave color. But there was like all these porta potties and massive lineups to each porta potty and I'm like oh this might be the last chance I should should I take a chance on the porta potty and then get a really crappy place and in the start corral or whatever so we stood in line for the porta potties and then of course we were like just jammed in like sardines with everybody and so Kevin talked about this super long walk to the start line they had these kind of like I don't know what they were Kev but like banners or something yeah and banners or sponsor boards or something but they were about a meter out from the fence. Yeah. And so every time we would like just tuck in and like run behind these banners and then <laughs> pop out. And we're like, I think we just passed like 50 people and we would just keep doing that. <laughs> See, the race starts before the race starts, man. You've got to like. <laughs> yeah. And then they kick us out onto Las Vegas Boulevard. There's still loads of people. And we see all these porta potties with empty lineups. And we're like, ah. <laughs> We didn't need to do that. Oh, that's awesome. So this this just sounds like the perfect post-COVID race. Like oh. so many people, yeah, party atmosphere. It sounds awesome. Yeah, I don't think COVID exists in uh, Nevada. No, clearly not. Clearly not. So we get to six and a half K. I think it was right around then where you said, let's go. It's go time. What do you remember about that moment? Yeah, it, it was somewhere around halfway that uh, you kind of said, ooh, maybe we'll, we can just slow it down a, a touch. So then it was the next mile marker. So yeah, four miles, a little bit after that, six and a half K-ish, definitely before 7K. Like, it's go time. Because there was still a little bit of a gap and there were you know, some new people that we'd identified, like multicolored shorts girl and... Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Turquoise shirt guy. Red shirt guy. I had gotten away from us a little bit. Yeah. Turquoise shirt guy, I think, was when I said, okay, we're good. We're going to go after that one. Right. And uh, right. what did you say? It's too early. You told me it was too far away. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to kick at three and a half K left, Carolyn? Come on. <laughs> I'm like, can't we pick someone closer? See, this is my big wimpy attitude in the second half. I'm suck. Um, <laughs> okay. So yeah, it took us a while though to reel in Turgoy's shirt guy. Yeah, it did. I mean, it probably took uh, the better part. You know, if we started from four miles, it took the better part of whenever the split was around 9k. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that got you focused on somebody who was way f- up far ahead. And how many people did we pass getting to him? Lots. Yeah. And by that point, we were we were rolling. Okay. So you're strategically having Kevin now help you when you you know your strengths aren't. Yeah. Help me overcome my strong. weaknesses. Right. Yes. Exactly. 
and we laughed at this before, but uh, but yes, I I do know that Carolyn will have a tendency to run like a perfectly even Stephen pace. So I did kind of want her to kick into a little bit of a, a gear earlier, and hopefully that okay. felt okay that she could maintain it to the finish. And I don't know about you, probably not, but I could totally tell that we were going faster. Like, I think we'd gone through the 5K. On my watch, we'd gone through 5K right around 21 minutes, but then the timing mat was later. It was like 21.20 or something. Um, And I, so that's 4.12 to 4.15 pace. I could tell that we were going faster. Could you tell? I could, I could tell we'd picked it up for sure. Yeah. Um, it it didn't feel like super fast. Like it wasn't a sudden surge or anything like that. It was just kind of a, a slow, gradual buildup. But by the time we kind of crossed over Las Vegas Boulevard onto the other side of the road, and uh, we were going through like huge, huge crowds of people. My goodness, Carolyn was flying by that point. Yeah, like a, a 353 kilometer clicked off on my watch and I was like, Ooh, I think I might, I may pay for that, but it it felt good. Like I felt energized. Yeah. You were probably like 10 pounds lighter without your three layers on the bottom and your, (laughs) your spikes on your shoes and all that stuff. So you're talking about feeling like you're picking up the pace at the same time you're fatiguing. So it's, it's almost doubling that perception potentially of going faster. So tell us about the, the final kilometer. What happened? When did you know you were potentially in first place? Like, did you know before you hit the finish line? Yeah. So around, I want to say about nine and a half kilometers was where the half marathoners and the 10 Kers split off. So we had to go kind of down this little chute and then do a 180 and then run back. So we had actually run past the finish line. We could see it on the other side of the road. Uh, so I kind of knew where it was and what I was looking for, but it was about nine and a half K Kevin, when we did that 180. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a little bit earlier. Yeah. Because I do remember after that, then you're like, okay, it's on, like, let's go. What do you have left? And those finish line arches looked so far away (laughs) and I kept on trying to run faster there but the road was like super bumpy and every time like I was trying but it was like I don't know it was hard to get my footing there it was like running on a waterbed yeah oh yeah it was like very weird it was wavy almost eh? it it was very yeah it was wavy and for probably like 75 meters or something every step wasn't level yeah. It was in some kind of oh, a little dip. Yeah. So I was struggling <laughs> with that and I could feel the pace slowing. And Kevin was like, come on. Cause like, again, this is where I really need him. I was aware that we were kind of more alone than we had been, but I didn't register anything. I had no idea, none, that I was in first place. <laughs> and the road kind of did a little curve before. So, from way back, all I could see was like the top of the arches. But when you do this little curve, then you finally see like, okay, now we're in the home stretch. There's this big red carpet laid out. And that's when they like started to prepare the finish line tape. And honestly, I was just like, no, like no way. And Kevin's like, oh yeah. <laughs> and so did you know? Yeah. Did you I know? 
I had no idea you went first. I we had no expectations whatsoever because as we were running, like there were there were still lots, lots of people, of people around. around us. Yeah. So we came up to the split, uh 10k peeling off to the left and not many people took that route. And no. <laughs> looking looking ahead, like I think there was one person who was just making the 180 turn ahead of us, but that's like 150 meters or more down the chute. Uh so we weren't going to catch that person. And then when we made the turn, there were like two or three people just in close proximity behind us. But yeah, there was no indication whatsoever that uh, that Carolyn was in first place. So my thoughts when we finally came around that last little bend and we could see the finish line proper and they, they started putting up the tape, um, I had so many things go through my head just kind of all instantaneously. I'm like, what are they doing? And then I'm like, Carolyn's in first. And I thought, no. You know, they must do yeah. this for everybody. And then I thought, right. no, they can't do this for everybody. There's going to be like dozens of people coming across the line every second soon. And then it wasn't until they made the announcement over the loudspeaker, like, here comes our first women's competitor, uh, that I'm like, oh my gosh, Carolyn's going to win this. <laughs> and I think that's when Carolyn said no. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I just kind of peeled off to the side and, and got out of the way of, of the pictures and let, and let her have her moment because it was awesome. Oh, you must have been so proud of your sister. I was. I think I was probably more happy for Carolyn winning the 10K than I would have if I had raced it myself or, or, you know, even if I, you know, just did my own race that happened to go well or or win. I I was way more happy for Carolyn than than I would have been for me. Because there's there's this feeling of responsibility of being the pacer. Right. Um, yes. This is a win for you too. <laughs> it is a win for me. Like when you pace somebody and they do well, then that's like a victory for yourself. That's what I love about pacing the most. I, I adore pacing. I've said this before. It could be my full-time job if somebody would let me. If there was any money in it, I'd do it all the time. <laughs> um, but no, it is, it is so much fun. But yeah, I... I had no idea either that I was in first, obviously. And then talking about what's going through your mind, like, so that was going through your mind. What was going through my mind is like, how in the world does this time win a 10K? Like, (laughs) I am fully aware that women run 10Ks like 10 plus minutes faster than than what I just did. So while I was proud of myself, I was very proud of the race execution very proud of of my effort, my training, all that stuff, but fully aware that it perhaps is not worthy of a win. So I had this like, what? And then I'm like, screw it. <laughs> like, I'm going to like, th- then I had a little like, what the heck am I supposed to do in this situation moment that lasted for a split second? And then I was like, I'm just going to live this up and I'm going to enjoy it. Like I've seen this happen so many times and people throw their arms up. So I'm going to throw my arms up. (laughs) And I threw my arms up like Kira D'Amato winning, winning Houston, Kevin, that race that you were at, there was a new American women's marathon record set that day. Yeah. I I wasn't there yet to witness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She was uh, 16 minutes or whatever, 17 minutes faster than you. It's insane. But anyway, I was like, I saw her do that. So I'm going to do that. So that's what I did. That's so special. So Carolyn, 
you've orchestrated this whole podcast to be about the pacing, but let's just celebrate (laughs) your moment for a second. Like what do you remember most about that finish line experience? Yeah, like I said, just uh, throwing up the arms and and then they were so, uh, I mean, I think they were just so excited, everybody at the finish line. There was like the two people holding the banner. There was all these photographers. It was seriously overwhelming and they were so awesome because they're like, here and like, you get to keep the, the tape and everything. And I was like... Hells yeah, I'm going to keep this tape. <laughs> and then, I don't know, I think I just turned to you, Kevin. I was like, can you believe it? Like, can you believe that this is even happening? Like, is this real life? Like, it was I, it was a very, very big high. Quickly replaced by a little bit of a low because we come up on Johnny. So my husband had run the race as well, and he's mm. pretty competitive, and he likes to get right on the start line, and there's some, like, start line pitchers, and sure enough, he's, like, front and center on that start line, and he had missed that little 180 turn off from the half marathoners, and so he ran the 11k race he won the 11k race (laughs) but had he gone the right way uh, I do think he would have won the 10k race as well and so he he sucked it up hard for me and he was he was happy for me but I I was also aware that there was some there was some disappointment for sure there was some bittersweetness to it that's another area actually where me pacing you I felt there was a little bit of an advantage. Like you could have easily gone the wrong way as well. That's about the only okay. fault on the course that I would note is the split was not well advertised and it was not no. marked with like a humongous sign that's readable from a hundred meters out. Uh, so we were approaching the split and I knew that we had to split um, mm-hmm. you know, fairly soon. Yeah. We'd looked at the course map and, but uh, because nobody was running off in the direction of the 10 K I'm like, I'm just going to go run ahead here and check this out and make sure Carolyn goes the right direction. So I kind of picked it up for just like 10 seconds or so, got ahead, confirmed that, yes, that is the sign. This is a split. This is the direction we're supposed to go. Uh, But yeah, it was not, not well marked. It was a pretty small sign. And when Johnny was explaining what happened, I'm like, I can totally see how that could have happened. And that really sucks. Well, and when you're the one racing and you're pushing at the edge at the very end of a race like that, I mean, I tend to get a bit of a tunnel vision mm-hmm. <laughs> when I'm in that place. Um, and the world just narrows and all you can see is what's straight in front of you, if anything. <laughs> um, and so, Kevin, you had the advantage of not being at your limit for that race. And like you said, as a pacer, able to check it out a little bit in advance. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So for a road course, I mean, that and especially a, a road course that had two different races going on at the same time. Right. I guess that becomes part yeah. of the pacer's duties. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Mm. Look at that. Even in a road race, the pacer needs to keep you on course, similar <laughs> to trail running sometimes. <laughs> so Carolyn, you told us what your, you know, most memorable moment from, from that experience was. Kevin, what would be your favorite memory from that race? Um. I think there was there was a point on the course where uh like we were going past some bands and there were big big crowds uh like it was right middle of the strip we were still one of the first groups of people going through so everyone was still really excited and I, I you know like I was 
pumping up my fist and firing up the crowd and, uh, you know, saluting the band. <laughs> uh, and then I think out of the corner, corner of my eye, I said, oh, there's a photographer. So I turned to Carolyn and I said, quickly, smile, photographer. And to her credit, her grimace turned into a smile, like really quickly. <laughs> and, uh, and now we've got that as a race photo. So that's like, a great photo. I think everybody in our family, it turned out really well. And I think everybody in our family is going to be getting one. And uh, I'd say, <laughs> yeah. I'd say that was our, my favorite race moment. I need to ask Kevin who his dentist is because those pearly whites were gleaming in that photo. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you still had a lot more uh, bandwidth to be smiling. You were looking at the photographer and smiling, no less. But yeah, it was funny when those race photos came out because I wasn't even aware that there'd been photographers all along before that. And in every picture, it was like horrible. Um, I'm sure yours are amazing, Kevin. All the photographers, you're probably like smiling. and But yeah, you uh, definitely saved us. And uh, it was that will be a fantastic memory to have that picture. That is one thing. I know in ultra running, there's photographers strategically placed on the course, but it's very obvious because you can see them from like a mile away and they're in the, the most picturesque spot with the mountain in the background. And I've learned to very intentionally yes. look like I'm having an awesome time while I run by the photographer. <laughs> but in a 10K race, you know, everything's so much more compressed, right? And and uh, especially a place like Vegas, I can imagine lots of photographers around you wouldn't be able to know where they were. So you yeah. you did get some great pictures though. And I think we'll have to use that, the the photo we're referencing here in our um, social oh, yeah. media yes, post about definitely. this episode. Yeah. The other fun part about finishing early was, do you remember like how much food and drinks oh my and goodness. swag we got in the finishing oh, sure. shoot. It was like, here, wow. have some champagne. Like they were giving out champagne, like little mini bottles of champagne. And I think we got like five or six of those and we loaded up like, so they give you the space blanket. So we had like granola bars and chips and you know, water and juice and all this stuff like loaded into the space blanket to actually make it I don't know, the kilometer back to our, our hotel. So that was pretty fun too. Was it cold? Like, did you need the space blanket? What was the temperature like? Um, no, I mean, it, it was around, I want to say it was like 15 or 16 degrees Celsius at the start. But I mean, from start to finish, it got significantly darker. Like I had sunglasses on, but I did not need them at the mm -hmm. end. I needed them at the beginning. I didn't really need them actually <laughs> at the beginning either, but I definitely didn't need them at the end, but I didn't want to like put them up mm -hmm. on my head because what if they fell off? So yeah, it cooled off a little bit by the end. I don't, I never felt cold or that I really needed a space blanket, but remember the half marathon was going on at the same time. The start was 4.30 for us, but it probably took them like 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour. I don't know to, to get everyone through the start line. Kevin, then if it's taking people three and three and a half hours to do the half marathon, like that's nighttime. So it, it was probably more that they were giving them out at the end. That's a late race. Yeah. To start after dinner. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But it makes the atmosphere a lot more fun in Las Vegas because you're right running and, uh, you know, the lights are coming on up and down the, yeah. the strip and the big hotels are all lit up. And, um, yeah. Yeah, nothing happens in Vegas at 6 a.m. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say one of the coolest things about that race in particular is that I've been to Vegas um, 
lots of times now. And Las Vegas Boulevard, the strip, is a really busy place. Like it's four, five lanes across in both directions, and it's always jammed with traffic. That night, it was totally closed down. It was wide open on both sides just for runners. And as we made the turn kind of on the south end and we were coming back up towards the strip, just to see both sides of the street jammed with runners and that they were closing it off, it was really something to watch. And didn't we see somewhere that there's only two times a year that they close it down like this? And and one of them is this race. So again, super cool. So I have to ask, Kevin, what's more fun, racing yourself or pacing? Hmm. The actual experience is definitely pacing. It's never (laughs) fun to run a hard race. (laughs) Not in the moment anyway. I mean, not if you're doing it right. (laughs) Yeah. The the fun comes afterwards as, uh, as you've experienced, but uh, in the moment, definitely pacing is, uh, is more fun. The long-term rewards of, of executing a good race probably last longer, Mm -hmm. but I mean, personally, I'm going to remember this one for a long time. Mm Well, this is an interesting question that I wanted to ask you. The winning time was 36.44, which, I mean, you last fall ran a 34.13 10K in the national championships in in Toronto. So 36.44 would be certainly within your wheelhouse. Do you have any regrets about not doing it because you could have gone for the win? No, I have no regrets whatsoever. I mean, I think I'd looked at the results from previous years and usually there was like one 32 minute or 33 minute guy uh, that you could count on being there. So I, even if I ran the 10K, I wouldn't have had really any expectation of winning it, uh, at least going into it. Uh, no regrets. So Kevin, what's next for you now? You've had your big race for the year in January. You've paced your sister. What's next on the radar? I guess I'd go back for racing for myself. Um, we're going to have in-person road racing here in Ontario in the spring. So uh, starting to line up the races already. Uh, spring runoff in Toronto and sporting life in Toronto and the Ottawa 10K. And then we'll see what comes after that. But yeah, signed up for, for some road races between 5 and 10K right now. Okay. Okay, so the shorter, I consider those the shorter distances, middle distances, I guess. If I don't know. Yeah. It just depends on which side of the lens you're looking at. Yeah. So any more marathons planned for the year or was Houston the only one for this year? I keep saying that uh, I wanted to do one more marathon and it, yeah, it went well. And uh, back to that 10K that Carolyn referenced last fall uh, that I ran, I, I did win a prize there and that prize happens to be a free entry to any event at the Toronto waterfront uh, race weekend in October. So okay, uh, their 5k half marathon or marathon. So I may take them up on, on the marathon in October. Got to get your money we'll worth out of that free prize, man. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Is that a prize or a curse to give somebody a marathon yeah, exactly. entry? <laughs> like giving someone a dog. <laughs> or buying somebody a race entry for your birthday. Like we had yeah. another guest do. Right. <laughs> So how about you, Carolyn? What's next for you? Oh, uh, I, so I came back from Vegas and shifted right back into, I did a 3000 on the track, an indoor 3000, which again, I, previous to Las Vegas, I'd done an indoor 1500. So those middle distance, short middle distance races are 
hard. And so <laughs> the 1500 was fun. I, I think, again, I needed Kevin as my pacer to, to drag me to a faster finish time. I think I little, left a little bit on the table there. But uh, the 3000, I ended up uh, coercing some ladies, a former guest, Brandy Adolph, and uh, and her friend Lindsay uh, to join me in that race. And, and thank goodness I did because uh, Brandy and I were able to really work together in that race. And I think I executed a little bit better than the 1500. So I did some short middle distance stuff and now I've shifted full on into marathon training and I'm targeting the Manitoba Marathon in June, I uh, definitely have, as I've spoken about before, some unfinished business with the marathon. So I hope some of these long base building miles in the dead of winter will uh, translate into something special in the marathon. So we'll see. Well, um, I've experienced that. Winter running always leaves you, as Kevin said, when you shed those layers and your feet hit mm-hmm. solid, dry ground, it's it's just an amazing feeling of freedom. I felt that today here in yeah. Calgary, and oh. you'll feel it soon in Winnipeg. Yeah. <laughs> well, soon being a relative term when you have eight feet of snow. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, Kevin, congratulations on a great job pacing Carolyn to her first win, 10K win. Congratulations, Carolyn, on an excellent performance. And uh, it'll be exciting to see what you both do for the rest of the year. Great. Thank you. 